Michael. Welcome to the Block Hash Podcast, episode 226. Uh, pleasure to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks, Brandon. How are you doing? Fantastic. Um, off to weeks, off to a good start, getting a lot done this week. Um, so there's a lot I want to talk to you about, about Euler. <laughs> Might even start with the name because it, it kind of catches me off guard a little bit. Um, yeah. But before... Before we do, tell me a bit more about yourself. I'm sure people are kind of curious uh, who you are, what your background's like, um, what your story is, how did you kind of get into this space? Yeah, sure. So I'm um, I'm one of the co-founders of, of Euler. We can talk about the, the pronunciation in a bit, but um, sure. I've been uh, I've been we've been developing this protocol for about 18 months. And before this, uh, I used to be uh, an evolutionary game theorist. So. I used to work at the University of Oxford studying uh, populations of things and how they change through time and how uh, strategies, behavioral strategies, as we describe them, uh, of you know, the different sort of uh, cooperative and competitive aspects prosper in different kinds of environments. So what should you do in a situation when you're faced with uh, some social context? You know, should you decide to cooperate or compete with the the other en entities around you and answering that kind of question in an evolutionary context uh, in populations of things like bacteria, uh, insects, populations of cells, even populations of human beings. Um, studying all those kinds of questions more from a theory side of things. That was my, my main day job before this. Uh, and of course, on an evening and on weekends and in my spare time, uh, and maybe sometimes even during work hours, I used to dabble in uh, thinking about blockchain tech and cryptocurrency. So I was first introduced to the concepts in, I think, 2015 by a friend of mine in Oxford. And uh, I was a bit dismissive, to be perfectly honest. And then I got really excited in, uh, about uh, the space in 2017 when the bull market took off. And I was really interested in uh, machine learning at that time. And I decided to try and write uh, some trading bots and see if I could beat the market using using bots. And um, I definitely didn't. I, you know, that never never happened for me. But I was essentially hooked at that point by the by the space as a whole, by the technology. And as things sort of became a bit more depressed over the following years, I I stuck around and, and um, started to just play around with the technology more and build more and more stuff in hackathons and in my spare time. So that's actually uh, how I got got started with Euler really in. I think early 2020, uh, a protocol called Compound had just launched, which I was really interested in. And uh, Uniswap had, was around as well then, gaining traction increasingly. And uh, so really just before DeFi summer uh, of 2020, yeah, I was just participating in a hackathon, building projects. And that's how I met my co-founders of Euler and, and how things really took off from there. Nice. What was... Um... What would you say is like your first experience with blockchain? Uh, did you was it at Oxford or was it sometime after that or was it a specific like uh, incident or did you buy something or what was it like? Yeah, so my friend who was was he actually runs now an auditing company uh, in blockchain. Um, so he was actually consulting for uh, consulting on blockchain technology and, and providing firms with. Uh, insight into whether or not it would be useful for them uh, to in introduce it into their workflows. And uh, I'd already heard about Bitcoin, so I knew knew about uh, how, how Bitcoin worked at a very high level, I suppose. And I was really quite skeptical that you know blockchain technology would help 
uh, companies with their workflows, you know, tracking tracking things and so on. So I was a bit skeptical. That was my first real, uh, yeah, sort of the time I first got really into depth and thinking about blockchain stuff. And then, yeah, 2017, my friend, a good friend of mine, um, the best man at my wedding, in fact, mm -hmm. he'd actually moved out to Costa Rica and uh, he was working out there and his company offered to pay him part of his salary in Bitcoin. And I, he talked to me about it and I actually, my first response was that seems a bit risky. Um, but it was a small part of his salary and it worked well for him, of course, because Bitcoin that year was started to fly and really take off. So he, he talked to me more about it and we would have conversations about Bitcoin during that period. And that's when I got more interested from a trading perspective. So that was really my first hands-on experience when I first bought some cryptocurrency. I can't remember what I bought initially, but a small amount of some, a basket of assets probably. I think I bought some ETH. I was probably on Coinbase, you know, just a classic entry point for everybody. Um, and uh, yeah, then traded all sorts of stuff on trying to build these bots uh, on back on Binance and IDEX and a bunch of other, um, you know, exchanges back in the day. And uh, yeah, I then I think it took me took me a long time, to be perfectly honest, to really uh, appreciate the, the power of the technology and especially of Ethereum, which I'm now uh you know a big advocate of yeah i sure hope your friend held on to a lot of that bitcoin at least over the last four or five years it has gone up tremendously um probably a good decision on his point to take part of his salary in bitcoin yeah it worked out really well i mean he did actually sell some back in the day uh when it when it first hit you know twenty thousand dollars or whatever so he, he he i think he wasn't too disappointed with his decisions then so uh it definitely helped him uh, establish a nice life in Costa Rica, I think, back then. Um, so I don't know if he still holds any. I'm not sure. but I'm sure he's probably kicking himself a little bit about it. But no, that's awesome. That's good for him. Yeah. Um, Here's so many stories about that kind of stuff. Um, tell me about Euler. So before we, I guess, dive into more detail about it, I think we got to talk about the name for a second because it looks like Euler. And I've said yeah. it a billion times already, and I was prepared to say Euler. And then you're like, no, it's Euler. Um, what, what's the, the reasoning behind that? So yeah, Euler, Euler, the, the name is actually derived from this Swiss mathematician. Uh, he was probably the most famous mathematician of all time. Uh, he in, uh, discovered an awful lot of the mathematics that underpins everything in modern day life. But one of the things he, uh, was very famous for in particular was studying, uh, the formula for compound interest. Uh, which is the the type of interest that builds up when you constantly um, yeah reinvest the the interest that you're earning. Uh, obviously, very important for a lending protocol. So there's that link there. So we decided uh, Compound had already stolen the best name, perhaps that you could choose for a lending protocol. Uh, we decided to go with Euler because it was of that sort of deep nerdy connection to the the study of compound interest. Nice. It seems to, I think that fits pretty well, actually. So that's actually a good call on your guys' part. Yeah, Tell it's me. only the only tricky bit is that no one knows how to pronounce mm -hmm. it, as you see. So, yeah. I know. You guys are going to have to put something out there so people know that it's Euler and not Euler. Yeah, we're not too sensitive about it, to be honest. I think it's I think It's, it's actually good marketing, it. though. It's good marketing so it gets people to think about it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, it sparks a debate. It's, um, but there's also this awkward thing where people pronounce it. And in my head, I'm kind of like, should I tell them or should I just... Should I just shut up? Um, not sure about that. Yeah, well, I guess whatever for people works, works internally, you guys know. Yeah. So tell me what 
Euler does? What What is it? What's the goal here? What are you guys trying to bring to fruition and accomplish? Yeah, so Euler is a, a lending protocol on Ethereum, and it tries to disintermediate uh, lending and borrowing, particularly crypto assets. Uh, and what I mean by that is that it provides people with a way to uh, lend to borrowers without having to arrange um, specific contracts, terms of engagement, repayment periods, and so on. Uh, like many DeFi protocols, it simplifies that process by allowing people to lend to essentially a pool, uh, and then the pool will lend back out to the borrowers. The borrowers will uh, pay an interest rate. Uh, well, when they repay, will pay an interest rate back to the pool, which is then distributed to the lenders. So it's an extremely efficient way to establish uh, a lending and borrowing service uh, and uh, on the blockchain. And we're known for a few uh, innovative features that don't exist on other lending protocols. Uh, we're especially known for our permi permissionless uh, features, which allow people to lend and borrow lots of crypto assets. In fact, many, almost any asset that's an ERC-20 token on Ethereum can be activated as a lending market on Euler in a permissionless fashion by anybody. So you could go on right now, Brandon, and activate a market yeah. if you're choosing if you wish. Uh, we also have lots of other features that help uh, both lenders and borrowers. So we have a novel type of interest rate mechanism that allows uh, interest rates to be more capital efficient and reduces some of the governance overhead involved in, in running a lending and borrowing protocol in a secure way. Uh, we also have mechanisms that, that actually mean that uh, borrowers and especially large borrowers, inst institutional players, which is what a lot of the borrowers are, the DeFi native institutions, uh, end up suffering less when they, when they get liquidated. So essentially making uh, borrowing less risky and less costly for institutional players uh, and reducing what's called MEV on the protocol. Uh, and we also have lots of features for, for lenders. And lenders tend to be more just regular, everyday crypto holders who hold a basket of assets that are, until now, non-productive, but they can put them in these protocols, allow them to be borrowed by uh, DeFi pros, essentially, and then in that, that way, earn an interest rate on them uh, and, you know, make some, turn, turn that sort of, turn an unproductive asset into a yield-bearing asset, essentially. Uh, and for those lenders, we have a bunch, whole bunch of features on our on our UI that allow them to do lending and borrowing in a very, very gas efficient uh, way. So they can combine multiple transactions into batches. Uh, they can take advantage of fee-less flash loans and various other stuff that usually are restricted to, on most protocols, to, you know, the, the DeFi pros, really. Got it. How does the lending and borrowing work through Euler? So if I wanted to use the platform, I had crypto or I had fiat, I don't know what your guys' on-ramps look like, but I wanted to use the platform. What's the process like? So we have a, a, an app, app.euler.finance, that you can visit. And when you hit the app, you'll see that there's a, a long list of currently activated markets. So they, those markets have all been activated by Euler users that want to lend them more particular assets. Uh, to to get started you need to deposit some assets first whether you're a lender or a borrower if you're a lender you simply deposit and at that point you immediately that next second will start earning interest assuming that somebody's already borrowing from that market essentially uh, what you're doing is actually depositing into a pool which then generates uh, which is then uh, earning interest from borrowers who essentially borrow from that pool and then will re repay to the same pool uh, and the more the borrowing the more that borrowers take out of the pool, the higher the interest rates tend to go, which means that the interest rates reflect the demand for borrowing out there in the marketplace. Uh, if you want to borrow, 
on uh, on Euler and like on a lot of uh, DeFi protocols that, that deal with lending and borrowing, you have to be over collateralized, which means that unlike when you in the real world when you go to the bank and take out a loan or you you, you borrow from a, using a credit card, here you actually need to deposit more value into the protocol than you take out in loans. Uh, so you, for instance, if you wanted to borrow some Ethereum. Uh, you and you wanted to borrow $800 of Ethereum, you might have to de first deposit $1,000 worth of a stable coin like USDC in order to take out that borrow. What does that collateralization, I guess, limit look like? Do you, does it have to be like a dollar more? Does it have to be like twice the amount? Um, I know it differs kind of from platform to platform, but what's your guys' um, limit there? Yeah, definitely. It's actually a really, um, a really tricky thing to, to get right. I mean, the... The more essentially that you allow people to borrow against their assets, the more capital efficient the protocol becomes. But with that comes an increase in risk. So, uh, for instance, if you take out a loan with an $800 against $1,000, so a 0.8 collateral factor, uh, and that, that borrowed asset increases in value very quickly, uh, then that can create problems for the protocol because there's a chance that, that uh, as the loan uh, value is increasing, that the liquidators don't come in and essentially repay that loan on your on on the borrower's behalf so that's a crucial part of the process and that's why these buffers exist essentially is to allow enough time in the marketplace for uh liquidators out there to come in and repay loans on behalf of borrowers when prices on on the markets change so it actually varies asset to asset how much can you borrow really depends on uh on what you're depositing as collateral in the first in instance but on Euler, um, and this is one of our innovations actually, it also depends crucially on what you're borrowing. So if you, on, on many lending protocols, if you were to say deposit $1,000 worth of USDC, a stable coin, and borrow $1,000 worth of a different stable coin, uh, try to borrow say $800 worth of a different stable coin, you would also similarly be able to borrow $800 of say a dog coin or some kind of meme coin. And now the problem with that of course is that meme coins tend to be very volatile. They can go up or down in value very, very quickly um whereas the stable coin that you're borrowing is kind of flat so mm -hmm. actually the the risks when you set a fixed collateral factor like that as they do on other popular lending protocols they don't really reflect the risks and the kind of implied volatility of the asset that you're borrowing and that's something we do differently on Euler, which is part of the reason we're able to offer uh, users access to m way more lending and borrowing markets than other protocols we allow we actually yeah try to uh, quantify the risk of the asset that you're borrowing as well. So typically, if you're borrowing a, a dog coin or a meme coin, you'll have to be um, more heavily over collateralized than if you're just borrowing something that's also relatively stable. So um, that's a really long way of answering your question, which is to say that it depends. Um, Got it. Yeah. Have you guys explored options other than collateralized loans, um, maybe metrics that involve credit or reputation or something along those lines? We're, that's not really our bag, to be honest. It's not really our, it's not really our skill set. But I'm really interested in that space and whether or not that's possible on in, in a decentralized way. Um, one of the ideas I do really like, uh, I think, when you do uncollateralized lending, what what's true is that the essentially you are relying on always on some kind of risk score reputation. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, in the real world, that reputation is enforced by a government or some kind of force as well. But in, in DeFi, you would really have have it would really need to be re uh, enforced by just purely a reputation. 
And for that to happen, of course, the I think your reputation has to be more valuable to you than the assets that you're borrowing. So if your reputation is worth, you know, over the next 10 years, you think is worth $100,000, then uh, maybe you could get away with lending from somebody in an unclassified fashion $10,000 because they know ultimately it's in your interest to pay that. Otherwise, your reputation goes poof and you, you know, you lose the access to future earnings. So if you have reputation-based um, lending, I think one way that that might be possible is through small networks of, uh, of people essentially lending to each other and then passing it on to further networks of people that they uh, they also trust and whose reputations they, they they know well. So I think there's possibilities there. There's lots of interesting maths you can do with sort of graphs and networks and stuff that I'd love to explore, but it's not something we're realistically going to be um, looking at for, for some time, I don't think. Yeah, it is kind of tricky, huh? With collateralized loans, it you know it takes away a lot of that risk, but at the same time, for the individual, it creates risk, and not everyone has all that capital to put down and collateralize just to borrow a fraction. Um, whereas uncollateralized loans present more risk for for you guys, for the platform, or the developers, or you know the, the blockchain itself. Um, and I guess it's a bit trickier, and you have very, very low entry points in order to start something, if you're building reputation or credit score or something through DeFi. I know that's getting really popular right now. Yeah. Um, I just haven't seen it really implemented successfully yet because there's so many different ideas, I guess, on how to do it. Yeah, these things take a long time to establish themselves. So reputations, they say, you know, take a decade to build and then they can be broken in a minute. And that's what you really need to happen, right? And things like ENS, having your own Ethereum name or mm-hmm. an identity in the Ethereum ecosystem, I think really will help with that long term. Um, we'll also probably see institute like DeFi native institutional players lending and borrowing to each other. So I know like Maple, for instance, is, is, is working quite su- successfully with that kind of model right now. Obviously, those institutions have reputations that are very, very valuable. And so um in that kind of uh on that kind of scale peer-to-peer kind of uncollateralized lending maybe works well but i do agree that it'll take some time to for um the yeah more widespread mainstream kind of uncollateralized lending to to take place in DeFi, and and maybe that's not such a bad thing i mean one of the one of the things people say about over collateralized lending though is that it's it's way more robust the the mm-hmm. DeFi ecosystem has to deal it gets battered day after day with crazy market conditions cycles that traditional finance could never possibly deal with um and yet DeFi still comes you know it's still standing and fine and a big reason for that even after 50 percent drops in the market and so on is because ultimately things are over collateralized and so the system just works very very well and it's very robust and very anti-fragile to wild market movements and, and other crazy stuff that happened in DeFi. Yeah, I think my biggest concern that I have with uncollateralized loans is if it's not like highly regulated in any kind of way or it's not like directly attached to your real world identity, um, then I can see so many people building up addresses with reputations by just borrowing and paying it back, borrowing and paying it back over and over and over again. And then yep. turning around and selling it to someone that is high risk, uh, that yep, decides exactly. to take out a ton of money, and then you know they might not be able to um, pay it back. So that that's another issue. Yeah, I guess that would be a kind of Sybil attack on the on the on a lending protocol, which is one of the hardest problems that that DeFi's had to solve. Right? Is like how do you when when things are sort of anonymized, how do you how do you build a reputation? How do you identify a single address that belongs to a single individual? I think it's a really hard problem. So it's probably some way off in the future and we'll see how it evolves. But I'm not expecting to see anything anytime soon, um, to be honest, myself either. 
Yeah, likewise. Um, what kind of assets do you guys allow people to borrow? I know you mentioned stable coins. Um, I'm sure you know stuff like Bitcoin is in there. But what other types of cryptos can they borrow if they um, choose to do so? So on Euler, we have um, we, we essentially put things in different tiers. Um, uh, and the, the, the three tiers that we have uh, allow you to do various different things with them. Ultimately, uh, lending and borrowing, core lending and borrowing uh, is... We support any asset on Ethereum, ultimately. Uh, right now, people have activated 43 different lending and borrowing markets on Euler. So you have 43 assets there, which of course include stable coins, about Bitcoin, um, but also some quite exotic things. Um, uh, we've got Shearbon there, which is a, you know, a meme coin that, that you probably wouldn't expect to see on other popular lending protocols. Um, we've got a whole variety of stuff, to be honest, and we expect that just to keep growing as, as uh, you know, as people come into the market and activate, uh, you know, new lending and borrowing markets for assets that they hold or, or that institutional, you know, players in the market want to borrow. So it's really up to anything. What we do restrict is the the assets that you can use as collateral on the protocol are are quite restricted, and and for something to become a collateral asset, so something you can borrow against that asset it needs to go through a governance procedure so you can activate uh, any lending and borrowing market but if you want to activate a collateral market you essentially have to submit a proposal to the dow governance structure and say look this asset is on you know is not that volatile it's uh, fairly risk-free in terms of the development team and the code and it's been around for a while and it's traded on lots of markets and so on it's highly liquid um, I think that's, yeah, that's essentially what's required of a, a collateral asset is we need to minimize risks. Uh, anything that can be used on collateral as on a on a, on a a generalized lending market like Euler puts systemic risk on the entire protocol and, and the whole the whole house of cards can come crumbling down if you activate the wrong thing as collateral. So we're very, very risk averse to things being listed as collateral. On the other side of things with lending, if someone wants to lend out uh, crypto and earn interest on that over time. What determines those rates? Is it based on how much they lend out? Is it based on how long they're lending it out? Um, or what specifically they're lending out? How does it work? How's that determined? Yeah, um, it's a great question. So things work very differently in, in these kind of protocols like Euler than and in DeFi than they do in the traditional world. Usually when you when you want to lend, you have to establish those rates with a, in a centralized way or with a, with a bank or somebody controlling the rates. They're set by the market maybe. But overall, it's a quite a centralized process with lots of overhead and, and, and sort of peer-to-peer -peer interactions. In, in DeFi and on Euler, you uh, essentially lend to the pool and you accept whatever rate the market is going to generate for you. You just assume that there's some market rate for borrowing right now that's going to be paid. Uh, and you accept the equivalent lending market rate. And so how does this work in practice in the pool? Uh, we deposit some assets into the pool. Let's say there's a uh, million dollars worth of assets in the pool right now. The, uh, the, the simplest way to set the interest rate, and this is one of the models we use on Euler, and it's also popular on uh, other protocols, is essentially that as more borrowing goes, uh, as more assets get taken out of the pool from borrowing, the interest rate just goes up linearly as a function of how much uh, assets have been taken out of the pool. So if 50% if of the pool is being utilized by borrowers, then uh, the interest rate will be half as much than if the pool is 100% utilized by borrowers. And as a lender, that interest rate is just going to change all, all, over time. It's very, very volatile. Uh, but of course, if you put it in there for over the long term, you can expect to get a fair market rate uh, for the 
um, the assets that you provided and the lending. Uh, and that interest is accruing perpetually every single second on Euler. It's constantly reinvested as well. So it's the interest itself is compounding. Uh, and I think as Einstein said, compound interest is maybe the eighth wonder of the world or something. You know, it's a very, very powerful force when you constantly compound the interest that you're accruing and, and reinvest it essentially into the pool. So long-term lenders will always, always do quite well from compound interest. Um, we do have a new type of model that we innovated and developed for Euler um, that we call reactive interest rates. Uh, and what this does is it says, well, uh, from this pool, how much do we actually want? Uh, how much borrowing do we actually want from the pool? Clearly, if there's zero borrowing from the pool, then the lenders aren't earning anything because there's no, no interest being paid. And if the entire pool is out in borrows, uh, and out in loans, then that's not actually not great either because as a lender, you want to be able to withdraw uh, whenever you want. And if the entire pool is being drained by borrowers, then that means that there's no availability for assets to be removed at that time. So really what you want to do if you want to ma maximize capital efficiency of these pools and minimize that risk of being unable to withdraw assets, you probably want to target a utilization of the pool of maybe 70% of the pool being out in borrows at any one time. And how do you actually do that? How can you achieve that 70% um, ratio? What we use is something called uh, some fancy maths, although it's actually simple under the hood, called control theory. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the same kind of maths that's used and the same kind of mechanism that's used to regulate the, uh, regulate the temperature in your house. It's essentially like a thermostat that uh, changes the interest rate in, re in reaction to the utilization of the pool. So if the, the pool is if it's gone up way past 70 percent then the interest rate really starts increasing quite quickly over time and what this means is that borrowers are starting to feel the pain here they're thinking am i paying too much interest so the borrowers start to repay and similarly other lenders out there in the market that aren't using oil are starting to get excited by these high interest rates so they start to onboard more assets and the the combination of these forces brings the interest rate back down from something too high back towards the 70 percent and so close to the 70% sort of target that we set, uh, we, what, what you do is that you let the interest rate be volatile, but you stabilize around the, around the, the optimal sort of utilization of the pool. Uh, and that's, a, that's, a, yeah, that's an innovation that we've developed and that will be going live fairly soon. We need to, what we need to see on Euler is we've only, only been live a couple of months. We need to have lots of participants in the pools for this, this kind of interest rate mechanism to happen. But yeah, we're very excited to, to see that go live shortly yeah what's the participation like in the pool so far has it been very promising or has it been a slow start or what's it like yeah it's been i i think it's been really promising i mean we've well as a team we've been building for eight, this thing for 18 months so we, we never wanted to rush out with something that was half baked and half finished mm -hmm. uh, and we're very risk averse as a team it's one of the main things that we focus on is risk and risk management so when we launched we essentially launched the protocol with very risk averse conservative parameters to try to just um, temper people's worst instincts in terms of just piling into uh, you know new protocols on Ethereum, and uh, in spite of that, we've seen you know really steady uh, growth in, in user numbers. Uh, we've currently got around 100 million dollars locked in the well 100 million borrowers and uh, 100 million in deposits in the protocol, I should say, but with around half of that or a third of that in. Uh, out in borrows at the moment so it's been fairly steady and i think there's been around three thousand unique addresses that have tested the protocol in the last couple of months uh so yeah things are going really well 
and ultimately now we're at a point where we're starting to feel a bit more confident with how the protocol's been running. We've had this million dollar bug bounty live for a few months and, and had no reports. So as we grow more confident with the, the security and the operation of the protocol working well, we'll start to release some of the shackles, if you will, of surrounding how it's operating and start to make it more capital efficient and more user friendly for people. Uh, and that process is going to start really soon. We've just started to add some new collateral assets, for example. Uh, we activated, we started initially just with stable coins. Uh, we recently activated uh, Bitcoin, wrapped Bitcoin as a collateral asset. We're also looking to activate Uni uh, for the, from the Uniswap protocol as a, as a collateral as well. So that process will, will be ongoing and slowly and, and surely you'll see, I think, more, uh, you know, the, the protocol displaying more of its capabilities to users and it become more of a, a useful asset for them. Nice. That sounds exciting, too. Um, one more question, then we'll kind of start wrapping things up. I know you mentioned uh, you guys have a token and liquidity mining coming out as well. Tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, so like a lot of protocols, ultimately the, the goal here is to decentralize this thing and make sure that uh, the community, the, peop the, the people that are using this protocol and deriving benefit from it have a say in how this thing works in the future. And so the best way to do that, I think, is to establish a decentralized governance uh, module for the protocol. And so that's the next thing on our agenda. You know, right now as a team, we're kind of controlling uh, operations and uh, having just deployed the thing. And ultimately we want to, to put that establish a control for, for people and its users. So we're going to start distributing oil tokens to the protocol's users in uh, the next few weeks. And uh, yeah, if, um, if people want to say then in how uh, oil Euler's run, they can then make proposals to the DAO uh, governance module and say, look, uh, as a protocol user, I'd really value it if X, XYZ token was activated as a classical on the protocol. Uh, and they can then put that to the community and they can have a debate about it and see whether or not they can, um, whether or not it's appropriate for the protocol to do that. But yeah, the the, the, the plan here is ultimately uh, to take uh, quite a big chunk of the total supply of the governance tokens, 25%, and hand that back to the protocol's users over the next four years. So on an ongoing basis. And uh, ultimately the way that this will happen is that if you're a borrower on the protocol, then you'll be given governance tokens uh, as a as a you know as a kind of rebate, I suppose. Uh, you know, you're mining the ability to vote on how the protocol will work in the future, and uh, yeah, which markets will be eligible for those um, will be eligible for those tokens. Well, we're going to actually implement a kind of gauge-like system. Uh, people might have seen something similar with Curve. Uh, we have a, a new design for this on Euler, where essentially. Uh, up to 10 markets initially uh, will be eligible to receive these uh, these tokens, uh, these governance tokens, and we're going to distribute um, to those 10 markets based on people's voting on which those markets should be and how much each of those markets should get. So uh, early oil uh, token holders, early governance voters will have quite a, a, a large impact in which communities are in the future able to have a say in how the, the protocol runs. So. Yeah, we're really looking forward to, to welcoming people on board that process and, and essentially getting involved with how the DAO will operate in the future. Nice. Yeah, this is exciting. Uh, very exciting stuff, man. Tell me, uh, where can people go if they want to start using Euler and they want to get involved and they want to start borrowing and lending? So the uh, our, our website is Euler.finance mm -hmm. and the app is app.euler.finance. And I think... 
I would really encourage people to, to read our white paper as well, which is can be found at docs.euler.finance. You can see the theme here. Um, mm -hmm. So they would be three great places to start if they, people want to know more about how the protocol works and, and get started with using it. What about you on your social media? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm, uh, I wouldn't say I'm the most prolific user of social media. I'm more of a head mm -hmm. down and, and kind of build guy, but I, from time to time, I share my thoughts on a variety of things. Um, one of the things that I, I like to talk about is risks and Oracle risks and uh, some of the nuances of, of DeFi. So you can follow me at Euler underscore MAB, uh, which are my initials actually uh, on Twitter. You can also uh, you can also join our Discord where I'm I'm, I'm often hanging around and, and yeah very open to talk to people and help them using the protocol and explain various aspects to to people uh, firsthand. Cool. We'll definitely drop some links in the description so people can find it more easily. Um, guys, go uh, check out what Michael's doing in Euler and be sure to like the video and subscribe. Michael, thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. Fantastic conversation. Um, really do enjoy talking about. Uh, lending and borrowing. It's a very interesting topic in this space. I know it kind of sounds nerdy in some ways, but it's its very critical and very important for a lot of people to get it figured out and to get it right. And glad you guys are putting so much effort into it. So thank you for sharing today. Great. I really uh, yeah, appreciate you having me on. It's, uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. So hopefully I'll, I'll be back sometime in the future to tell you more. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Just let me know. Great. Thanks, Brandon. All right. See you. Bye. See you, man.